Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, recorded at a Carolina's chapter event, you'll hear a panel of colleagues from BDHP Architecture and Citrix discuss how partnerships are formed through the development of projects. Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design, and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. I'm your host, Brian Trainer. I'm a workplace strategist for BHDP. Welcome our live studio audience from the Cornet Mega event here in Charlotte, North Carolina. So that's very exciting. Give yourselves uh, a hoot and a holler. Yeah. And we'll get th through this and give you a reason to, to drink afterwards. But um, I'm joined on the stage at the far end. We have Amy Hayworth, who's the chief of staff uh, for human resources for Citrix. Next to her, Jenna Geigerman, director of real estate and strategy for Citrix. And to my right, immediate right, Chris Lapata, client leader for BHDP. And they're going to lead you through the project. Um, and we're going to leave some space at the end for you guys to ask questions. So while you're, if your curiosity gets up, we'd love to hear what um, you guys were thinking about as we go through. Um, first off, we want to talk about the project. So this is about building partnerships, but it was through a specific project. So Jenna, would you like to tell us a little bit about the project? Absolutely, Brian. This project was in our Fort Lauderdale headquarters, and it's an entire floor of our building that was additionally partnered with HR to develop this space. And then ultimately, it was such a cool space that I suggested the real estate team be co-located, and also a finance team is located there. It is 25,000 square feet. Um, we have the budget. It was 5.4 million, which is a little bit higher than our normal gut and replace because this floor, one, had a lot more user engagement and iterative process. It had a higher level of technology. We have an LED windows that overlook into the atrium. We have a welcome wall for the HR space. We have learning and development rooms, so higher technology investment and definitely a higher look and feel. Um, because we have a lot of shared spaces there, the ones I mentioned, and also like a library, the um, user seat ratio is a little bit higher. Our portfolio target is 170 square feet per seat, and this one is a 227. The density of the workspaces themselves is actually the same. It's just that there's a lot more shared amenities that uh, utilization rate increased because you offered more options for people is what you're saying, right? So there's more places for people to sit. Yeah, so actually if you counted every place that a behind could be in the whole um, floor, <laughs> it's higher than the average for sure. But equally importantly, there's, uh, there's resources on that floor that can be accessed by everyone in the campus. Great. So tell us about some of the objectives, like uh, what was the motivation for, for doing this? So we start with the vision of the chief people officer, Donna Kimmel, who was our executive sponsor. And as you guys know, to have any project successfully executed, especially one that's transformational, as we heard in the introduction, moving the HR team from an almost 100% office environment to an almost 100% open unassigned. So as you can imagine, that was quite a journey. And so we started with her vision, and she really wanted to create a space to model the future of work. Both HR and real estate have a shared vision of attracting and retaining talent, because I think as HR professionals, ultimately that's the measure of our success. Do people want to work there and do they want to stay there? The 
project as part of the user engagement process that Chris will detail um, later throughout our presentation, actually looked at what were the goals that were shared by the team? What were the things that were most important to them? And some of those included creating a sh HR showcase, cultivating a sense of belonging, balancing the demands of multiple types of work, resolving issues related to privacy and confidentiality, and promoting comfort and well-being. All good, uh, noble causes. And I, I see privacy and confidentiality quite a bit in engagements. These are not unfamiliar. Like HR Showcase is different. And I, I'll be curious to get to that a little later on. So what about the, how long did you have? Like, so this project actually was a year from when people moved out of the space, their old space, to when they moved into the new space. Part of that timing is because we had a lot of uh, floors being renovated on the campus, and we needed to move them out of their other space so we could renovate and move the executive team there so we could do the executive floor. So it was one of those shuffles, I'm sure you guys have been part of this, where you have to create a space, move a team, create a space, move a team. So one of the actual successful lessons learned from this is the space that we had available for the HR team to move into was a kind of a classy 80s developed uh, assigned Cubeville. It was not attractive space. It was not desirable space. It didn't promote collaboration, didn't have great technology. And so after they were in that space for almost a year, they were super excited about anything that we were going to deliver to them. So lessons learned, yeah, whenever you can move people into really crappy space, do it. Um, because the pain of change is then now less than the uh, pain of staying the same. So, um, And so really that enabled us, because we, we knew we had a long lead time, um, because this was slated after a couple other floors were going to be redesigned, we really had the opportunity to have a much more thorough user engagement process because not only did we want to create the HR showcase for this floor, but we also wanted to look at our portfolio and how do we iterate design because this, the first floor, most recent floor in this kind of new work anywhere was started seven years ago and we are just now finishing the last floor on this campus. And so now if we didn't continue to iterate, the last floor would be you know, to the standards of seven years ago. And as a technology company in particular, it always needs to be, what have you done for me lately? What's the new trends? How can we really showcase our technology, the mobility, ch choice, control, sort of the latest design techniques? Um, because it's not only an environment for the staff, it's an environment for new hires, so we're trying to attract people to the space, for um, interviewees, for the rest of the campus to go get services, and because our executive briefing center is on the first floor of the same building, it's an opportunity to bring our customers into the space to show our technology in play and how our workspace integrates with workplace. So the next question that I have then, so that's some high-level project overview. And you had a pretty long runway to, to handle this, but also were there any other, for Amy, were there any other motivators for change? Like what was driving the need to do something? So probably the best way to answer that question, Brian, would be to show you that was a big motivator for change. So for those of you on the podcast, um, we're looking at gray, six foot high cube walls, padded, very little daylight, a lot of offices. Um, as we mentioned, this was a team who had uh, offices and they'd gotten very comfortable in those offices. Um, these were personalized offices to the extent that for some, I felt like I was going to someone's small studio apartment. There were Christmas lights and decorations 
decorations and pictures and bean bags and it was all in this little space but it was it truly they had made it a place of comfort um, a place very well suited to how they wanted to spend sometimes 12 hours a day and it was going to be a challenge to go to an unassigned model where we knew we would be asking them to have a clean desk at the end of the day, not a cup, not a water bottle, not a piece of paper. <laughs> this is a, an environment where we wanted to encourage mobility. And that meant that space couldn't be personalized. So we knew we had a challenge ahead. Here's another photo of basically where we moved from. And again, we're a technology company. Uh, this doesn't look like innovation, move fast, disruption. And we all know that so much of what we're surrounded by is how we unleash our creativity, how we solve problems, how we see each other, how we teamwork, how we he, create collaboration. And this just wasn't a space that lent itself to that. Right, and there, oh, nor does it lend itself to like daylight or any. You know, like, <laughs> or, what time of day is that picture? You know, just, are, you, are you in Florida or are we in Oregon? <laughs> yeah, like you're in Florida and you have zero views. <laughs> Oops. Just honestly, show of hands, who still works like this? Anybody? Anyone? Honest? Or have you shifted out of that already? Does this, this bring pains of a recent change? <laughs> mm -hmm. Good. This is the before for many of your projects, right? <laughs> <laughs> the next thing I want to talk about, though, so th these are some of the project specifics. We see the why of it. You have some goals and objectives. But this is ultimately about bu building the right partnerships. Mm -hmm. So um, what partnerships were important, and when and how did you invest in these partnerships? Yeah, so when we think about employee experience, this is probably very familiar to, to all of you. But the... The partnership between people, which is typically the HR side, but looking at culture for the company, physical workplace uh, with real estate, and then also the technology element with our IT department. So these are probably the, the obvious players. One of the things that we wanted to do in this project in particular was also partner with the people who were going to be using the space, as well as thinking forward, as Jenna mentioned, about the future employees that hadn't even come yet. Uh, we wanted uh, to make it a place where they were able to reconcile what they knew about the company with what they were experiencing when they came in for an interview. So there were lots of different stakeholders to different degrees. And then the investment in this particular floor, as Jenna mentioned, was a little bit higher than our, our normal investment at Citrix. And one of those reasons was because our executive sponsor, Donna Kimmel, had this vision. She was ready to push the team further out into the future. And so the investment was there. And we were able to bring in BHDP to really think through the unique work style of HR. One of the things that Citrix does is sell technology that enables us to take work out of a physical place and just be a thing that we do, and it can happen anywhere. To be able to live that story authentically was a, a key piece of this project, and to be able to push ourselves um, to, to be thinking differently, we were really lucky and fortunate to have a partner in BHCP to do that with us. That's great. One of the other questions before we get to Chris's part, because I like to make him sit as long as possible. These are very different groups of people, and people tend to protect their expertise sometimes and don't often play well with others. So how did, uh, how did you get people excited about working together and were there any hiccups? <laughs> Absolutely, the hiccups. So we could do a whole podcast on the hiccups. Um, but I think one of the, the big pieces of our... Um, productive partnership was that values are really important to Citrix. We don't just put them on posters and hang them on the wall. And one of our 
really um, paramount values for this project was respect. So being able to assemble a cross-functional team with different perspectives, um, clearly in projects like this, there are constraints. There were a whole lot of things the HR team would have loved to do, but uh, the money wasn't there. So how do we come up with solutions together that are still gonna meet a need, still going to delight a stakeholder, um, but yet honor the constraints that are in place? I was fortunate to already know Jenna quite well. We have history in a good way. And so there was some, some trust that existed to start with, and we were able to build on that trust. Um, and, and that was really important as we had to make trade-offs. That's great. So we know that you talked about you went to uh, your Work Anywhere solution, which is like a free address, so people don't have you know, that regular home space. So we want to talk about managing that change. Like how did you get through that and the methodology you use? So the first thing I wanted to show, there was a picture that I saw in here of um, a man going through many things. Tell, tell us what we're looking at here. For those not in the room, there's a picture of, uh, there's 12 different faces from the same guy. There's confusion, there's happiness. What is going on with this? I've seen this on a t-shirt before with Darth Vader. It doesn't change, but. <laughs> So the same change can spark a whole variety of reactions in people. So when we uh, let the team know that we would be making this change, we had some people that were so excited and saying, thank you so much, I can't wait to get out of this old dingy workspace. And we had some people saying, oh, no, 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 you will not take my office and really dig their heels in. So as we thought through, this is going to be a journey, and yes, we have 12 months to make that journey, we need to be intentional about how we take people through it in a way that allows them to focus on their jobs, honors where they're starting, but also gets us to where we need to be in the end. Because the train had left the station. It, we were not going back. This was happening. Um, so uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a long road. Very cool. So then when you go into a change process, there's usually some sort of uh, structure set up or guidelines to go through that. And what I see is um, this scarf. What is scarf and how did you choose this? So scarf seems to lend itself especially well to uh, changes like this, at least in my experience at Citrix. This wasn't the first implementation of a free address model. Um, and this is a model that was developed by someone named Dr. David Rock, and he is a neuroscientist, and he leads a company called the Neuroleadership Institute, NLI. You can find a lot of his information online, and it's fascinating to really think about those neural pathways that we create. And what he found through his research is that of these five elements, SCARF stands for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. And when you give somebody something in any one of these categories, they uh, move toward the change. They will embrace it. When you take something away in any of these categories, they move away from it, and we often refer to this as resistance. So the interesting piece in this implementation, we were taking away an office. An office is usually associated with status, at least for many of our generations it has been. So the interesting piece about this model is it tells us that where you take away, if you give back in other dimensions, you might be able to counterbalance things, or at least you have some leverage. So where we took away status, what we were doing in a free address model, unassigned seating, is we were giving autonomy. People now had a whole lot more choice of a space that lent itself to different types of tasks. They had choice about where they sat, if they 
that the person next to him talks too loud on the phone, well, guess what? You can get up and move somewhere else. Um, and there was also the sense of relatedness. So now, uh, instead of showing up at the office and closing your door and sitting alone all day, not knowing who else was even on the floor, which is a true story, uh, now you can look out across and you see an entire team and you see colleagues and you have interactions. And so that was a give back in the, in the category of relatedness. Great, thanks for that, Amy. Chris, you get to, you're on the next part. So now we want to talk about the design process and then how you engaged with em employees and what the result of that was. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, this project was so exciting to be a part of just because we had a client who really understands um, the importance of the employee experience. And so when you have a client that really understands the role that space plays in driving behavior, you're, you're able to... Um, get them to slow down. How, I mean, how many of us are, are working on time, on budget, trying to drive projects forward? It's hard to get a client to actually slow down, take a step back, and engage the user. So some of the uh, tools and some of the steps that we took to engage, they're not revolutionary, but it, it, in any change program, you have to have that leadership buy-in. And you've gotta be able to create that leadership vision. So we did a round of leadership interviews, leadership visioning, we did a leadership charrette to just kind of get a feel for what, what's the message for that uh, space. What's the message they want to be shouting from the rooftop when this project is done? We were able to engage the users in uh, focus groups, surveys. We did some on-site um, visual observation. And uh, Jenna will get into the pre-occupancy and the post-occupancy surveys in a second. So having a client that allows us to take a step back and create that user engagement. One of the, the three pillars of change management is bringing the user through the, um, through the process. That way you're gonna increase adoption on the back end. We had a series of uh, workshops and user engagements to allow the, the, the users of the space to tell us what do they want, what do they need. You gotta give them a voice. They may not get a vote, but at least they'll have a voice. So we, we got through a couple different exercises. One is just kind of um, looking at the, the different spaces that, that could be. This is not prescriptive. This isn't saying I want that chair, I want that carpet, or I want that lighting. This is really just about could I, what type of work could I do in this type of space? And then we tried to tap into their creativity and have them kind of um, pull out context of what does this space really need to be. And it really wasn't an art contest. They weren't graded on these things. But what we were able to do was take some of these, uh, these ideas, these concepts, and, and build a, a, a story, and build a, a vernacular that we could all kind of refer to. So one of the things that we wanted to do was really highlight that new hire experience. What does that new hire experience feel like? What does it smell like? So when arriving in HR, I walk into the Welcome Center where I feel welcomed and I'm part of the brand. While walking through the bright open space, I recognize the fun culture where I can see everyone's personality shining through. So this is kind of, again, just a story that feeds into what that um, new hire experience is. And then the most important thing is really getting that to that drive to five, because not only is this gonna help create that leadership communication piece that needs to be driven throughout the entire project, but it gives us a filter by which we can run every decision that's made throughout the, the uh, project process, we can go back to these, these drivers and make sure, making sure that we're hitting on these. So some of the critical drive to five for this was uh, create an HR showcase. 
have a nice welcoming front door, create a sense of, of belonging, create a clubhouse feel. Most people, when they get called to HR, how does it make them feel? <laughs> it's like it's the like principal's office. It's yeah. like getting called, <laughs> oh God, I gotta go to HR, something's wrong. But we wanted to make it a place that was you know, very inviting. Balancing the demand of multiple types of work, obviously that choice and control that Jenna had mentioned. And then um, obviously looking at privacy and confidentiality, giving people the ability to have those private conversations, and then focus on, on well-being. How important, you talk about telling a story. Uh, how important is that story to uh, driving the design? Like what is the value that that gives? Well, every time you, you go into a design project, I think you would agree, you, the goal is to capture the culture of the client and, mm -hmm. and capture their ways of working. Instead of you know, forcing a, a design on the client, having the client be a part of that design, and at the end of the day, what that communication does, it, it creates buy-in, and you've got user adoption at, at the uh, end of the project when people have to move into the space. Does that Very, make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. What about, so I know in your drive to five, one was privacy and confidentiality, and I know through my experience, that's usually what people lean into when they want to resist the change the most. I don't want to do this because I need privacy, and I don't want to be distracted, but for human resources, that's almost a function of the job. Privacy and confidentiality is critical. So how did you address that concern? Um, like, yeah, physician, could, heal thyself. Right, right. <laughs> and for years, honestly, I... I they wanted to take HR into a new space, and we heard a lot about the privacy confidentiality. We heard a lot about the paper. You know, I have all this paper. I can't, I can't be unassigned. And so you start to hear these sort of red herrings. I can't do this. And they stepping back and being like, tell me more about that. Like getting curious and trying to figure out what's the question behind the question? What's really going on? What's the real need? And then coming together in a very interactive way and solving for that collectively, thinking about what other ways might we be able to solve that need, which is real because it's real for you, whether I think it's real or not is, mm -hmm. is not the question. But we went back first with the privacy and confidentiality to the cone of silence, really, that HR is under. Everybody in HR needs to be confidential and handle information very carefully. And so we reminded everybody of that. Like, hey, it's probably okay that the person next to you is having a confidential conversation because you can't talk about it, remember? You're in HR. So we started with that. And then the other piece is that we designed the space with more privacy rooms than our typical templates for other functions like IT, for example. So we said, your, your need is real. Let's create spaces that you can pop into when you get a call that you don't want to have out in the open. Um, some of those are room spaces, and there, there are guidelines for all these different types of activity-based working spots. We have guidelines about how they're going to be used and what the right behaviors are. So you can't sit in one of these privacy spaces and make it your own private office for the day. So we, we talked a lot about that. That, and then we just encourage each other to encourage each other. So if a space is being used incorrectly, talk about it with the person. You know, hey, I see you've been in there all day. It's not how we use that space, as well as communicating through signage and some other some other ways. So that seems to have gone a long way. We're still, we're about 120, maybe 150 days into the space. We moved in in May, so I may be calculating that wrong. But we are starting to kind of get comfortable, and this is the point in the initiative when some of the things that truly need to be fixed are starting to thematically appear. We know there's gonna need to be adjustments, and we're starting to see some of that. Going back and reiterating some of these guidelines is one of those, and sure. so we'll continue to, to reinforce that. 
Great. Thanks, Amy. Jenna, do you want to take us through the, the project? That sure. I think one of the things, um, you know, there's a lot of articles about how open office is such a bad experience, but a lot of those are really open office without choice and control and options, right? So one of the things that was key to this project success is having a lot of variety of places that people could work. Um, and so all these colors show different degrees of, can you book a conference room? Is it a privacy room? Is it a phone booth? Is it a collaboration area? Some are open, some are enclosed. So really creating places that people can work within the floor and within the campus. We have the pretty picture area. So, um, you know, the, part of the design vision was to have this welcoming area where people come in and they feel a sense of belonging and inclusion. And so um, you can see that the execution was very similar to design. There's always tweaks along the way. So we don't have the Citrix sign above the reception because once you're on the second floor of our building, you pretty much know you're at Citrix. Hmm. But we did want to make sure people knew that they were welcome and welcome in as many different languages as we could put on a poster because that is part of the sort of the R of the floor is that it celebrates the global nature of our company and that all are welcome. And is that the, the HR experience that you were talking about before as one of the drivers, the HR yes, showcase? absolutely. That's part of the HR showcase. And the, also the ability to bring, um, it's on the second floor, and the first floor is our executive briefing center. So being able to bring customers into the space as well as the um, people who are using the space. So the old experience of, we call them town squares, that actually looks more like a prison cafe um, <laughs> than before. But, you know, really, it, it's not no access to light. There's nothing about that that is inviting except for caffeine. Um, but then, you know, designing this space where there's a lot of different activities happen, and in reality, it's so successful with choices of booths and tables and to high tops and shuffleboard and food and snacks that it's actually hard to eat there because so many people choose to work there that we're now getting some, like, I can't actually even get in a booth and eat my lunch because there's people who are, who are working there because it's such a great experience. Amy already described some of the old style workstations and what we're moving from, and then moving to, you know, ergonomics sit stand, much smaller footprint, access to light, ability to choose where they want to sit for the day, um, and then having a little bit more greenery with a lot of accessibility to different kinds of books, booked rooms, privacy rooms, phone booths. And then having some shared amenities, so there's a library space, which includes a lending library, it includes massage chairs, 100% recommend. If you have a small footprint, need a quick win amenity, look at the massage chair. And if you're in Raleigh, stop by Jenna's office, yeah, they have a couple to, massage chairs, sit there Just, and, she'll set you up. Yes, absolutely. And then, um, you know, also having some places where there's no phones, no talking, that people can really do focus work. So one of the importance of sort of an activity base versus just a standard vanilla open office is that there are varieties of places for the people, because even doing the same job, people often have a really different experience they want. In our Raleigh sales environment where we did something similar, two people were making sales calls, 150 calls a day, same, same exact job. One of the people was saying, I really like to do that in an open space with a lot of people around me because I really thrive on the energy. Another person in the same job said, I like to do that where I have no distractions and I can just focus on those conversations. So even within the same function, just giving the people the ability to tailor, decide what kind of environment they want to be in um, is really helps the productivity of individuals and teams.
Yeah, I like that, the idea that two people doing the exact same job function, because we usually overgeneralize and say, oh, well, they're marketing, so they behave this way, but there's subsets of personality. And they were even both them. millennials, so we couldn't even slap that old <laughs> generations thing on so that. You can't blame the dem that can't demographic. Can't blame the demographics, now. So let's talk about how you, so you did measure what you were doing. Let's talk about how you measured success and what you learned from that. So Chris had mentioned we did pre and post occupancy surveys. So we do post surveys at 90 days out. And so we wanted to share some of the results of that with you. So one, we had a really high participation in the pre and post survey. Anything over 50% is a great survey result. And you know, 70 to 80% participation is pretty good. There was no strong arming in there. Um, we use the net promoter score because that's a very common use for our tools. Would you recommend share file to a friend or a colleague? And so we've applied that to our spaces, to our employee experience. And so the net promoter score, if you're not familiar with it, is from negative 100 to positive 100. Zero is neutral. So actually anything above zero is a good score. 40 is amazing. And so for this team to go from a negative 70 rating to a positive 20 is uh, light years ahead. And it's actually the highest post-move NPS score of any of the spaces we've done. So really this team was super excited, although the team didn't have the highest net promoter score, because real estate's also on this floor, and the real estate and finance team rated it a 40. So either we did a little ballot stuffing, or we really think we're the, the bomb. Vote early, vote yeah. often. You're the best. Because I think that, that, that was the <laughs> highest, highest that we've gotten so far. I think my son tried to tell me 40 was amazing once, but I didn't buy it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, different scale, I think, Brian. <laughs> different scale, indeed. Um, there was so no negative. So we wanted to just show you, like, these are some of the questions we asked, which you obviously can't see, but general sense that blue is the pre-survey and red is the post-survey, and all the red bars are higher than the blue bars by a pretty significant margin. The one with the arrow is the only one where it was below, and that is I have the ability to personalize my space. And if you think about the story Amy told about what it was like before, where people had a shrine to themselves, and now we're moving them to a space where their personalizations, they can put their name on their locker, they can carry something with them, they have shared team space, we have you know, images and you know, shared information about the team, and, but not like I can you know, have all of my stuff around me. The fact that it was almost neutral is pretty astounding. And I think that goes to that whole scarf model. People are willing to make trade-offs, even things that they think they have to hold on to, if what the end state, they're getting something better, so they don't really care as much about it. And so that, uh, th that need was satisfied in a very different way. When you engaged with employees, um, did personalization come up as a concern for people? Like, I need to be able to do this? They wouldn't say it would limit them from doing their job. They were very concerned that it would change their satisfaction with how they felt during the, during the day doing their job. And, and they were sad. They felt like they were really going to be losing a sense of comfort. You know, I think personalization in a lot of ways is a coping mechanism. It makes us feel comfortable. Sure. Um, so that's where I saw it pop up. There's a lot of cuts to the data, but the demographics is always an interesting one for people to understand. So when you look at the percentage improvement from the before and the after, the Gen X is the most highly satisfied with the new space, and they also had the largest percentage improvement. The Fuddy-duddy baby boomers um, were 
still positive um, by 20% improvement. They felt that collaboration wasn't really much changed. And so it's curious that there definitely was a demographic difference. Also in how highly the space was rated. So in this case, the millennials gave it the highest scores, followed by you know Gen X. And then still, I think it's of note that the baby boomers still gave an average of 3.5 out of 5. So it's not that they um, thought the space was horrible. It's just that they were you know going with the flow before and after. How much did you think about the need to design for the future workforce? And, and not designing for today or today's work, but... Well, we definitely wanted to iterate the design, and we actually will have sensors that are going to be installed in the space so we can understand which spaces people are using, how many people are using spaces, what their preferences are, and we'll look at that by what kind of furniture is in the room, what kind of technology is in the room, is it a side of the building people prefer, is it being closer to a certain amenity people prefer, are they grouping together or are they not, so we can understand behaviors. And we've used that in other projects so we can take lessons from that. Like our Raleigh project, we did a sales pilot, that was we um, looked at that space, and we were able to look at, do people prefer a single monitor, an ultrawide, or a double monitor? And we use that data because IT, um, which Amy was very kind, it's a partnership with the three of us, but we kind of dragged them along. Um, and But we said, in this new space, people preferred, we have another case study, people preferred ultrawides. Can we offer it to this population? And they're like, no, 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 we haven't tested it. And we're like, let's show you some data. And then I think it really helped that the chief people officer said, yeah, we're totally gonna offer this to them, right? Um, and so this idea of using the data and understanding preferences, being able to measure it and using that to iterate for the next project, that's what we hope to do with this project, is take those lessons and use them for our next design as well. So ultimately, <laughs> we'd like to talk about the success of the project is how happy is your key stakeholder? And we'll let Amy take us home. <laughs> so uh, Donna Kimmel is my boss, um, and we really know, as Jenna said, that without an executive sponsor who's completely committed, when things come up, um, when constraints are there, conflicts arise. And when we look back at the success, it's not only was it successful for our executive sponsor, um, but was it successful for everyone? And in her mind, that inclusiveness is so key to what we set out to build to start with. But in her words, the physical workspace transformation offered us the opportunity to build with a values-first mindset to design an employee experience for the HR team, for candidates, hiring managers, and our broader employee population that truly reflects who we are. So it's where partnership really comes in at the end, where you can look back and know that 12 months of effort uh, really did pay off, and we were able to make the trade-offs to collectively offer what perspectives, talents, expertise we could, and design something that really does exceed our expectations and take us as employees into the future. Thank you for that. I, I like that employee experience is bold and underlined. You know, it's so, and when you talked about putting human back in human resources, it seems like you were really committed to doing just that. So that's the big overview of the project. This is the part where we would like to open it up. If you guys have any questions, we'd love to know what those are. We're going to send Michael around with a microphone, our producer. Um, does anyone have a question that they would like to ask? Ah, good. So this uh, choice-based design or activity-based design that you did, is that your standard for the entire company or is this something you just started? Um, I, we've always had things like privacy rooms and you know meeting rooms, but I think the degree to which we have, uh, we're building in more things like not just 
formal seats, right? But we have more couches, we have more open, we have more closed, a lot more variety so that we can understand what people, give them more choices. So did you expect retention issues that people might leave? Did you really consider that upfront because people going from offices to an open space like that and you were okay with that? That's always the big question. And um, I've been part of three implementations like this. So dating back to the very first one we did at Citrix, which was seven years ago, um, we, we hadn't seen anything like that before. You know, now this is pretty common and nobody raised their hands uh, when we asked who, who works in these old cube spaces. So think about seven years ago, that was a big deal. I will say that our executive sponsor for that particular implementation knew that he risked losing people, and he was completely okay with it. For this one, because he knew, he's like, this is the future. If you're not with me, you're against me on this, and you can opt out. I'd rather have you opt out now, because the culture I'm trying to build is this, and so it's better that we all make those decisions. For this one in particular, um, we were a little nervous, uh, but I think one, you know, taking those lessons from seven plus years ago and, and thinking about how do we get more voices in the mix early, how do we really pay attention to the change elements, um, but I, I did have several conversations where I said we have to be prepared, we might lose people over this. Yeah. Um, so yeah. last question, I promise. So you interview <laughs> your employees in this space, then where did you put them after you hire them? Oh, very important. <laughs> the bait nice. and switch. <laughs> Isn't it nice? Don't you want to work here? Go down to the gray space yeah. that's left. <laughs> and actually, some of the feedback we had gotten um, from employees was that was happening, not in our floor, but in managers were scheduling them on nicer floors and then they showed up for the first day and that wasn't at all where they were sitting. And so um, with this campus-wide refresh, that hopefully is taking care of this issue because there was a massive investment made last year um, to really shore up all of our space, not to this degree, uh, but that, that is a great point. Hi, Miranda from Red Hat. Um, you spoke that the associates um, acknowledged the desire to personalize the space and that that was one of the points that they were um, scared of. Um, how did you address that? What were some of the ways that you did implement the ability to personalize the space by associates or by teams? Um, I'm just really curious to know that. It's so interesting because I don't really think we did. Um, it's, and, it, and that could be seen as bad, but I also think where we offered it was, hey, this isn't going to be the way we work anymore, and here's why. You know, this is, what, this is the vision we're trying to move towards. This is about mobility. This is about freedom. This is about untethering. This is about you really experiencing the purge. I mean, we had a couple cycles of purge your stuff because we moved to temp space, and we moved from the temp space to the other space. And it was about paring down, and where we focused was on the benefits of that. Do you feel lighter? You know, now you don't have to deal with all this dust and all these other things that are happening. But where we also amplified was what you're getting back. Yes, we acknowledge you're giving this up. We're not gonna tell you it's gonna feel good to give that up, but what we are gonna tell you is what does feel good. It's gonna feel good because you're gonna have relationships with coworkers that you never had before. It's gonna feel good because you have fairness, um, that everybody's equal here, every desk looks the same. You, so we, we tried to amplify where there was gain and focus and, there. And even where we had some ideas, like one of the things that we'd seen, we toured Steercase's Michigan um, offices, both the sales and the HR team, and both of them liked the the facilities team there that was unassigned had 
a screen where they actually showed pictures and stuff of the team and we gave them both a space to do that and neither team felt the need to do that or to execute on that. Maybe they were just too lazy, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but it, it ended up not being, you know, it was a perceived need and not necessarily a real need. One of the things we did is everyone has lockers and so we got little shower caddies, I guess is that you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> supply caddies that fit in the lockers. And we gave two different sizes, small or large, so people could choose what suited them best. And so this particular team member um, has a lamp. I mean, she has a lamp she unpacks every day amongst her photos. And she's willing to come into the office 15 minutes earlier because that just makes her feel better. Um, so, and she has a job where she isn't mobile. It's not like she's taking up a spot someone else could be sitting in by doing that. And that is a consideration if you're playing with your ratios. Um, but that's okay because she's picking it all back up and anybody can sit where she usually unpacks that stuff and it's it's free reign. Um, and so that is how I'm actually are unassigned with it. in the Raleigh office and one of the things I do, so if you're looking for a quick win, is I have a mouse pad that I gave to people for Christmas gifts one year and it has pictures of my kids. And so every day I unpack that and I use that. And so that is an ability for me to personalize in a mobile way something I need anyway. So if you were looking for a team, like what would be a pretty inexpensive way, give them the ability to go to a website and produce one of those. I think, so we have a couple minutes left. I know you had a, a question over here. Hi, um, Lamont Johnson with um, HM Health. Um, first of all, great job, great project. So if the seating is totally undersigned um, from a team collaboration standpoint, especially when you get into a campus, um, how are your teammates able to find their teammates that they're working with? Do you use technology or is there some way to sign into so your teammates know where you are? Are you using something like that? And if not, is that present a issue for your teams or issue with productivity? Right now, we our teams are in neighborhoods. So if you're, there are some people who are work anywhere and flex on the whole campus, but for the most part, they're assigned to a neighborhood. So HR is only gonna be on three quarters of that floor. So you can pretty much walk around and see where the other people are on the team. They can work in other places, but you know, we have Slack and we have text and we have you know, IM and all sorts of tools. Uh, and this team is pretty used to working globally. Um, so they, they're used to being a distributed team with some of the implementations I've been part of with IT teams who are very used to being co-located. This is the same type of question that comes up and we just encourage people, you know, call them, text them. How would you find them if uh, it was a Saturday? You know, something like that. Or they're working from home or because they could, yeah. might be in another office. So that helps too that people are already mobile and we offer a lot of flexibility. I thought it was fascinating that um, attraction and retention was part of your purpose statement. And the solution to that was, we're going to take away your personal space. And somehow, satisfaction went up. You know, so there's, there was something in there that people were afraid of that obviously helped improve their environment. Did anybody else have a pressing item that they absolutely were dying from? Yeah, one more. Great. Hello, I'm Hugh Templeman from the new Grand Bohemian here in Charlotte. Um, interesting question. Um, Colleagues in our organizations are habitual. You go to a meeting and they end up sitting in the same chair. You go to a uh, same place for where they sit for lunch in the, in the, in the um, cafeteria or what have you. Did you find or did you survey about basically people who created a pseudo office? They ended up in exactly the same place every day doing the same thing and that became their space. So that is very typical behavior that I've seen in these implementations. One of the things that we've tried to emphasize is that might be okay. What you're missing out on is those intersections with people who you don't normally work with. And if someone else chooses to 
come in earlier than you do that day and they sit in a spot that you usually set up shop in, that's okay. They're, that's not your desk. And so um, with that agreement, but we are playing with ideas. So I, I, I 120 days in about, we're seeing that pattern start to, to happen. Um, and so one of the um, things that we're going to try in the next month is on a, a random Wednesday, you come in, you draw a number, and you go sit in a different desk just to encourage the idea of permission to do that. Before these patterns start, we want to encourage the behavior we want to see and make sure people understand um, it's OK to step out and be a little uncomfortable and also ask yourself, is that a problem? So as long as 100% of your population isn't doing that, if that is somebody's choice to sit in the same place, as long as it's not disruptive, then that's okay. And, and that's, I think, the balance that you have to strike in these projects. Great. Just a, a little note, Cornette uh, Global was kind enough to pick up this uh, story and, and print it in the reader. We left these on your chairs, so feel free to take these uh, with you. Bring them to your HR folks and try to challenge their thinking around they space. They have some of the pictures you were taking pictures of. So some of the diagrams that you were taking pictures of actually are in here. So you can see the scarf model and you can see um, our collaboration. And these the two map. professionals are a wealth of knowledge. Yes. So thank you for your participation. Thank we you. Amy Hayworth, Jenna Geigerman of Citrix, Chris Lapata. BHB. Thank you all very much. Have a wonderful evening. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.